0: It's 2023, but we, these are technology products. There's absolutely no reason why we can't be providing a solid product experience and onboarding experience for our customers that reflects either action or inaction inside of our products. We're talking about software here, like in the situation that I'm describing, and even in e-commerce, right? We have an opportunity to send like programmatic messaging to our customers based on an action they've taken or not taken that is absolutely possible with the technology that exists today it it, it was possible with the technology that existed a decade ago but yet still companies are just throwing more at the top of the funnel there's no just like more traffic more traffic this has been a recurring theme for so so
1: long since i entered the market just stop it the run-of-the-mill cheesy humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women with errors in their backs who go through hell to achieve their goals. They'll go through anything to make it. They bathe in hell and high water, a cut above. They're intolerant to mediocrity, the status quo, and yet they're the nicest people you'll ever meet. This is Disruption Interruption, Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. This show is sponsored by JoTo PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to another industry leader that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Buckle up. Today's episode slices through the noise of SaaS marketing with a secret weapon that's been hiding in plain sight, your customers. (laughs) We're diving into the trenches of customer-led growth, peeling back the layers of why so many companies, years into the game, are practically strangers to their best customers. We're shattering the metrics and transactional obsessions that have blinded businesses with a playbook that turned a company's revenue up by 900% in just a year. It's not magic, it's method, and it's been proven by tech giants. Our disruptor today at the helm of this revolutionary approach is a mastermind who's been steering companies from the dark ages of Y2K (laughs) to the spotlight of exponential SaaS growth. She's a strategic advisor, a marketing guru, and a co-author of the groundbreaking book, Forget the Funnel. Get ready to disrupt and interrupt. Please welcome Georgiana Lotti, co-founder and CEO for Forget the Funnel. Thank you so much for that intro. That was great. (laughs) It was. It made me laugh. I loved it. (laughs) Tell me, before we get started, thank you very much for coming on the show, Georgiana. Gia, for short, what's what's your fundamental ingredient for disruptive innovation? I mean, it maybe sounds a little bit repetitive given the (laughs) intro you
0: just gave, Uh, but definitely this idea that we don't need to be guessing at what our best strategies are. We don't need to be guessing at what marketing or what product strategy is going to be effective. The answers to that strategy live inside the heads of our best customers. We just have to pull them out.
2: Wow. Well, that says a mouthful. And it really speaks to what is going on that has been going on, even for companies that are years old. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of understand it because as you evolve, your ideal customers evolve, right? But you always hear, what's your ICP? What's your ideal customer profile? Like, And companies think they have it, but many of them don't. That's what you're saying. Yes. I think there's an interesting conversation to have around
0: ICP and personas and customer segmentation and jobs to be done, which is our preference in terms of like, depending on what you're looking for, there's space for all of them and there's a a role for all of them to play. But like I mentioned, um, we really do find that jobs to be done, identifying the job our customers are hiring our solution to solve for them is really the most powerful place to start. And then layering on persona, you know, information, ICP, more that demographic layer that helps with targeting and helps with segmentation for your communication, like, programs, but not necessarily getting to the essence of what are these, like, what is the pain that our customers experience prior to us being in their lives. Why do they choose us over all of the other options? What are they able to do now that they weren't able to do? Personas and demographic data does not get at that level. And so we really lean heavily into the jobs to be done methodology to, to uncover this sort of psychology in our best customers. And it helps us make way better decisions about defining things like ICP and personas and customer segments. Um, and also, like I said before, identifying what is going to be the most you know powerful strategies to sort of leverage, whether product-led, marketing-led, sales-led, engineering-led, community-led, there's <laughs> like all these movements. There's so That's many.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. there's so many pain points connected to different jobs. I love that approach, right? I mean, people ultimately, end of the day, want to get things done. When they can't get things done, that is a huge amount of friction that opens the door for opportunities. So logical. So in your experience, since you've been doing this since the dark ages of Y2K, (laughs) tell me, like how prevalent is this that companies really don't know their customers and What's it causing? What's the lost income? What's what's the waste? Like, give me some data.
0: Yeah. So there's lots of reasons, you know, why this happens and it sort of rears its ugly head in many ways. But to sort of get to the essence of it, the the original question you asked is like, you know, how prevalent is this? It's incredibly prevalent. Um, it is particularly prevalent in tech because Our offering, you know, changes so often. So that's one big reason, but, and evolves, right? Like our products evolve over time. (laughs) Like, you know, the value that we're bringing to our market changes as the product evolves. But even before that, a lot of tech companies are started by tech people, people like product folks and engineering folks, more technically minded, less thinking about the market, more thinking about the solution, less understanding of the value of introducing marketing early on more thinking about what is the solution that we're going to build. Um, And don't get me wrong. A lot of uh, product folks are absolutely amazing at doing things like customer development early on in their journey to building the solution. But like I said, the product changes over time. And then critically, the, the biggest sort of elephant in the room is that the market changes, right? Like our customer has completely changed from three years ago. Um, you know, a, a pre-COVID world, a different economy, like we make ha, are making completely different buying decisions today than we were just a couple of years ago. And then add to that that the competitive landscape has also dramatically changed as well. So competition is a lot more fierce than it was before. So a couple of, to dig in there a little bit, like churn. Uh, so ProfitWell runs a churn, a SaaS index or churn index that they've been running since 2019. Churn mm-hmm. is at an all-time high for the past few years. Um, it is The one thing that has been consistent since 2020 is that churn is significantly higher than it was before. So um, it is harder and harder to retain a customer. Uh, Customers are more and more fickle for many reasons. Uh, One, some are economical, uh, but also because, like I mentioned before, the competitive landscape has also dramatically changed. So one example there... um, Scott Brinker at Chief MarTech has been running a, a marketing landscape, sort of like a state of, of MarTech for 12 years. And um, we've we always kind of refer to it. I, I was in MarTech early in my earlier in my career. And so we used to look at this all the time. And when I entered the space, there were, you know, about 150 tools in the marketing <laughs> technology. OK, space. I can only know how many there are now tell me <laughs> over 11,000
2: yeah okay i just want to i just want to say <laughs> because you know you go from 150 just in martech to over 11,000 i was just reading something this is just in e-commerce that the number of plugins and apps that spotify has alone is like 7 8,000 right yeah. like so that is part of the market and part yeah. of the churn, and we're not yeah. even—I mean, you're just talking about Martech.
0: Yes, oh, that is, that's right. Only that little piece. I mean, think about FinTech has also equally exploded. EdTech has as well. HealthTech has as well. Like all of these other spaces that have you know completely exploded. I don't know at a at a. There is no um, you know FinTech index like there is for marketing <laughs> technology, but that I know of anyway. Um, but if it's anything like Martech your customers are making decisions about whether or not to choose you in a completely different world than they were even just a few years ago, not only because of the economy, not only because of COVID, but also because of the competitive landscape that you now live in.
2: And that's a mic drop moment for right there, because it is so very true market changes. It's like post COVID. We have a new economy. Well, we've always, we have a new economy every 10 years, right? (laughs) And we have another new economy and the competition is fierce that's right yeah and
0: and churn being as high as it has been the last couple of years has probably been obviously for recurring revenue businesses a huge huge issue and a big reason for um, slowed growth. And so it's harder to acquire a customer than it was before. It's also more expensive to acquire a customer than it was a few years ago as well, because in the, you know, in the ad world, running ads on even just Google ads, you know, from five, 10 years ago is dramatically, I don't know the the numbers on them, but there's many, many stats on how much more expensive it is to acquire a customer via like ad platforms. And so when we see these companies, and we talk to them all the time, where they're like, you know we we're starting to experience um more inconsistent or slowed growth and we hear that all the time it's it's inconsistent it's not predictable um we're not really sure what to do we we've, we've tried everything and what they mean by we've tried everything is they tend to throw
2: marketing at this problem they tend to throw
0: money <laughs> at this problem yeah
2: it's sort of and, a volume like proposition if i just throw more volume yeah, at it that's right and probably even let me guess tell me if i'm wrong or right, they have too wide of a net.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And they haven't also refined the where these people land. So they get to a website that it's it's too wide of a net, and then it's sort of double down on that. They get to a website that's not well positioned the messaging does not get to the problem that these people are trying to solve. These target customers are trying to solve. It doesn't adequately articulate how this, their solution is better than all the others. The differentiated value is not obvious. Um, And then to to make matters even worse, if somebody actually does decide to sign up for this thing or, you know, request a demo or get into a, uh, you know, a free product or a trial or or whatever, they get inside of the product and there too, this always ceases to like, or I'm sorry, this never ceases to amaze me how many, like it's 2023, but these are technology products. There's absolutely no reason why we can't be providing a solid product experience and onboarding experience For our customers, that reflects either action or inaction inside of our products. We're talking about software here, like in the situation that I'm describing. And even in e commerce, right? We have an opportunity to send programmatic messaging to our customers based on an action they've taken or not taken. Um, That is absolutely possible with the technology that exists today. It, It was possible with the technology that existed a decade ago, but yet still companies are just throwing more at the top of the funnel. There's no, just like more traffic, more traffic. This has been a recurring um, theme for so, so long since I entered the market. The reason why I actually got into SaaS and recurring revenue businesses, because I was like, finally, these businesses that understand that marketing is about post-acquisition relationships as well, right? Because if you're in a recurring revenue business, like so many, you know people are from Netflix to, you know, Intuit, this is, these are recurring revenue businesses. if you are if you are not prioritizing post acquisition marketing and you can't retain these customers, then you're not in business. So I said, oh I found my people. The people that believe that marketing has a seat at the table, a, a revenue generator is not a cost center, It's a revenue generator. And I thought, you know, this is the this is the the industry for me. And I made
2: it. It's yeah.
0: here. <laughs> these are my people. And um while I'm not going to say they don't exist, they absolutely do. We get caught in these traps of we need to show, you know, growth for growth's sake and a lot of you know the the sort well, of growth. I think at you all said it right there.
2: And it's been yeah. growth at all costs. And yeah. you mentioned this. And it isn't anymore. Products, yes. Yeah. Products growth. evolve, but the tech industry evolves faster than others, except when it's just highly regulated. But even then, health tech and fintech, while it's fintech's getting more regulated, healthcare's super regulated. Yep. The industry and the growth is so fast and it has been growth at all costs. And, you know, back of that, what do you do? Oh Oh my God, we gotta get more and more and more and more. And so there's not really a mindset to like, I don't even know if sit back, but maybe they think, oh, my God, if we sit like back and take slow a look. down to hurry up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We'll like it's FOMO, right?
0: I'm going to miss coming. out. It's coming. I, and I think the, um, the fact that it is much harder to get investment now than it was before. I think that a lot of these companies are now, thankfully, in the position where where they need to slow down in order to hurry up because they can't just keep throwing ad dollars at this. It is not just about growth at all costs anymore. And now it's about efficiency. And um, you can't afford to have high churn. That's, again, I mean, that's, that's table stakes. Retention is table stakes for recurring revenue businesses. And the companies that have been sort of profiting from just growth on the front end of it to show, you know, in their in their board meetings growth, you cannot afford to have high acquisition numbers and high churn. You have to address retention and you have to address any churn issues that you have now. And so I think that the founder's hands are now being forced mm-hmm. to not just throw money at this thing, not just fill the top of the funnel, but actually start optimizing the rest of the customer experience, the post-acquisition to start maximizing ROI that you get out of your marketing, which is was right. kind of a, a theme for us in 2022. It was like more customers without more marketing. How do you get more customers without more marketing? And it's get to know who they are, understand what motivates your best customers, and then reevaluate what you're doing. Look at, you know, with that hat on of your best customer and knowing what motivates them, go through, you know, your entire customer experience and evaluate all the places where you're dropping the ball. And it can be a, you know, a hard pill to swallow.
2: Yeah. And what about companies that, and startups that are, you know, starting up, right? They have, some customers, do you need a vast amount of customers to know who your customers are? Because no. getting this right in the very beginning with the glutton that the SaaS market is you know has and is experiencing is gonna be critical. It is critical.
0: Yeah. Um, So to answer your first question, so yeah, do do you need to do a lot of this research in order to get the insight that you need to make better decisions? The answer is absolutely no. And that's part of the reason why we lean so heavily into the jobs to be done methodology, because that style of research, you only actually need about 10 to 12 interviews to start seeing some meaningful patterns. Truth be told, you could get to five or six customer interviews if they're run well, and even start to see patterns emerge there. Obviously, you know for um, you know for confidence' sake and to and to really um, cover your bases, you shouldn't stop at five or six. But to run ten or twelve jobs to be done interviews, you will get a very good sense of opportunities that you have not leveraged enough or. Um, you know what, what we discover when we do this when we work with companies oftentimes is like key features that are buried um, in the either on in their messaging or in their early product experience or we identify that this company has been speaking to the wrong customer and spending a lot of money marketing to the wrong customer base. Um, and when I say wrong, it's a big word. What, what I mostly mean there is like too broad, like you mentioned earlier, like too, casting too wide of a net where actually there's this sweet spot of customers in a, in a bit of a narrower focus that is a way better fit for your product that is a lower burden to acquire for, you know, for your team, is lower cost to acquire. Your messaging can really resonate with them. Your Your product is really well positioned to help them. And if you spoke to them and targeted your marketing around them, and your, you know, your messaging and stuff on your website, and as part of your, you know, early customer experience, your conversion rates would increase across the board, which means you get so much more ROI out of the marketing that you're already spending. So oftentimes we would recommend like pair back a little bit on your marketing. Like if you've got to figure out how how do you do this from a budget standpoint, typically what I recommend is like pull back your ad spend temporarily to run this type of research. And then you'll be able to apply it back afterwards and it'll be worth that much more. Yes. Um, but but post-acquisition, um, like once somebody signs up on your website, that's that's the start of the story. That's not the end of the story.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: that's really where, you know, the, the leaky bucket analogies come into play. And like, there's no point in spending on a, you know, filling a leaky bucket. I
2: like that term, the leaky budget analogy. Mm-hmm. I have a question on, like, we mentioned this, the Martech stack, right, and this plugin yeah. purgatory. <laughs> when you have, I've started to see that there are now SaaS and tech companies that are really having an all-in-one platform, mm. right? And this is starting to emerge.
0: Um, yeah, and,
2: yeah, You're coming and, full so, circle
0: <laughs> a little bit. That always
2: happens. Yes. Like yes. for a while, mm-hmm. um, but when you have that. Right. You have different jobs. So you have different pain points. Right. And then you have this problem of how do I communicate everything that we do? Right. And different jobs are affected. Right. So it's now it's not just one type of customer. It's so many. Right. Right. What would you do in a case like that? Because this is going to start escalating. Is it still 10 to 12 customers, or is there five to six? Or... It is. It okay. is
0: actually still 10 to 12 customers, uh, which is great news. So in that scenario that you're describing, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're you're describing a situation where we're in a B2B environment where um there is a, a, a more of like a platform or um an all-in-one sort of solution that would replace multiple point solutions on the customer side. Is that the s- scenario you're, yeah. you're describing? Yeah. So in that situation, you're still always going to want to be focused on your champion. And the champion is the person who feels the pain that your product or solution solves. And is the person who is, who is tasked with solving this problem. Either it's a problem that they're solving for themselves, or it's a problem that they've been tasked with solving for their business. Uh, or their company by, you know, a stakeholder, or, or a manager, or whatever, that champion is the one who's going out into the world, and doing basically the information gathering on like, you know, how can we replace these point solutions? How can we, you know, solve this problem for, for my business or or for myself. And that is the individual that you need to remain focused on. Even if you have an all-in-one platform that is ultimately designed for a team of even 50 to hundred people, it's still the champion you should be remaining focused on because they're the one that is going to, again, be as close to the, they're going to understand the old way, the sort of like the pain of what's the solution that's going to be fired in order to hire yours. They're the ones responsible for getting you on a short list, um, comparing you with other options. They're the one responsible for championing the adoption, not only the purchase decision, but the adoption across the org, the, the, that first point of contact. So it's still just that one individual Because once you can empower that individual to make a purchase decision and a buying decision and get basically that person on board, then they're the ones who champion it internally. Your job is to help them. Your job is to provide them with whatever they need to make it easy to get the rest of their team Mm -hmm. um, into the tool. And, And there are, of course, once we're talking about the champion being on board, so to speak, uh, there are, there are stakeholders that that person is going to be responsible for. And it's again, your job to help them provide their stakeholders with it, which with whatever information they need, but then once they get into the product, then of course, you need other sort of customer journeys, so to speak for those team members depending on who they are, right? If there's like a technical buyer or an administrator or the more functional users that are going to use the tool day-to-day, you need to be thinking about more than that. But that's kind of a post-acquisition thing to solve for, right? And you can do it it programmatically.
2: post-acquisition?
0: Well, I mean, I guess it depends on the product. But it is once, again, if you can help and support that individual, that champion, and empower them with the information that they need to pass on to their stakeholders, then it that is the biggest
2: leap is right there, right? right. If they are the key opinion leader that does affect the other stakeholders. That's right. Without but- that person nothing moves
0: forward there's right. no there's no stakeholders to get buy in on there's no functional users to worry about um so they're really the the key and your champion can change over time especially with b2b and you know we're talking about uh longer term you know relationships there's a lot of opportunity to you know, potentially change champion or, but that's a whole other like discussion. That's a lot more complex, but in terms of positioning and messaging and your marketing out of the market, it really should remain focused on that champion. Who's the person who understands the problem that you solve mm-hmm. and is tasked with solving it. If you can identify and talk directly to that person, um, you will be very, very well served. There's a, There's a lot of conversation around, well, what about, you know, outbound to the C-suite? And you can absolutely take that path forward, but I would recommend doing them in tandem. Because if you can actually identify a need in the market that already exists, where there is inbound opportunity, people are out seeking a solution like yours, There will be a much lower cost to acquire. They will be a lot more motivated to sign up and champion your solution versus an outbound strategy that might not be hitting somebody with the problem that you solve and might not be hitting the person with enough intel or closeness to the problem if you're going straight to the C-suite. It's not that it's a bad strategy. You
2: know, the C-suite has different things they want to solve. I would imagine, and I see this, this process could be done on those that influence the champion. Because yes. they have pain points as well, and that is just you know, we're getting into a more robust campaign there. But still, their job functions, they have pain points, and they can have a huge influence or can be a barrier to those that are champion. One of the. Uh, strategies
0: that works particularly well right now that I don't think nearly enough companies are taking advantage of is lowering the barrier to entry for these champions so that they can get into the product or solution, whatever it is, validate that it is actually a solution that could solve their problem. And then doing more like a product led sales initiative where if you can um, lead with product led growth, get them inside of the product and validated, like I mentioned, get to a meaningful sort of usage by that champion. Then sales is in a great position to be able to basically surface it up via that champion to the rest of the stakeholders for, um, for sales, basically. So. Oh my
2: gosh, that's like too logical. Right. Yeah. And and (laughs) and Uh, it's great. It's like. Yeah. Yes. It's great. I love that. When, when I say it's too logical, I only laugh because sometimes the most simple things are overlooked yes. as too, you know, just too logical.
1: Yeah. Why
2: in an opinion and, and, you know, feedback from your own customers, like, why is this disruptive? Why is this revolutionary? It's funny. I think
0: it, it's one of those, it sounds so obvious, right? Like learn from your customers, like talk to your customer. Everybody says, talk to your customers. One of the biggest issues though, is that, um, there's poor research, but even if your research is great, the biggest problem, we don't even like to say research. We don't even like to use the word research because there's such negative connotations attached to that.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. So many other connotations to it. What kind of research? Well, there's how long will it take? Fixed ideas, yeah, right. Exactly. It sounds expensive. It sounds like
0: it's going to take a long time. Um, You know, people have negative have had negative um, experiences with research, and that it leads to more questions, right? It it leads to more questions than than actually answers, Um, and that that is a unfortunate reality of um research is just that's kind of the nature of it right it, you need to be running very sort of pointed type of research that does not get um isn't subject to like the bandwagoning of other of other teams and remains focused on who are our best customers and what actually matters to them versus UX research or market research or our audience research or, you know, the the more quantitative level of research, which is all very valuable. But the essence, this is the essence sort of research is what I'm describing. This job's to be done, really understanding why, you know, the pain and why customers choose us and that desired outcome, what they're able to do now that they weren't able to do before. If you can run that research and protect it and run it well, then you're going to have, like I mentioned already, you're going to be in a great position to make a lot of better decisions. But here's where customer-led growth differs from just like talking to customers. Most research, unfortunately, the vast majority is like, cool, we learned these great things that was cool. Wow. I, you know, there's quotes and we got some testimonials for our website. We even got a case study out of it. That's cool. Um, you know, we can rewrite our messaging on our website. That's awesome. But it never actually gets actioned into what we were just talking about, which is like running highly effective programmatic communications to our new customers in like either for product led growth, or for product led sales being able to identify who's getting value out of the product versus you know who might need a little bit of extra help so part of customer led growth like the the flip side of that coin once you've done that research is operationalizing the research that is a critical component to this it's not just about having these aha moments and and as a team going like great we we learned all of these things and
2: validated
0: yeah, but but actually embedding the research into how you make decisions at the day-to-day level. And so how we do that is basically we take uh, jobs to be done and we treat it like a documentary of like how our customers like met and fell in love with our product. And we actually map the customer experience from being out in the world, experiencing the pain, struggling with the old way, All the way through to obviously making a purchase decision, choosing us over all the other options, meaningful product activation and product adoption, meaningful ongoing engagement, which we call continued value. And then there's like value growth where... Recurring revenue businesses get really interesting where we're having net revenue retention conversations versus churn and retention conversations. And that's really about like expansion and product led sales and all of this stuff. So it's like taking the research and turning it into these milestones, these customer success milestones for our customers, and then developing KPIs for each of those milestones so that our team understands what is appropriate to provide our customers at what point in their customer journey? What do they need to hear? What messaging should we be providing them? What parts of the product should we be showing them versus holding back until later, like you were describing with an all-in-one versus, you know, how do you introduce an all-in-one product? Well, you introduce the part of the product that they care about most at the the time. Um, And that customer experience mapping process is how you identify what that is. And that's actually, that's what CLG is. It's running that research and then Like running a, basically building a customer experience map where we can identify KPIs, like meaningful KPIs, not not logins, not credit cards entered, but actual like moments of value, which are leading indicators of success. Um, It's what I like to say a lot too, is that like, you know, because we're focused on our leading indicators of success, like product activation and engagement are lagging indicators like revenue growth benefit. Um, the leading indicators of success like this are what feel actionable for your team. Um, tell, setting targets around MRR they growth. They are the
2: sub products to the final lagging indicators. They are exactly. an indicator, <laughs> right? That's right? That's right. Yeah, And so explain to me, forget the funnel, like I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, the name, like the concept, yeah. you know, the concept behind it. Because, um, you know, hearing this, and I, I love the name anyway, but hearing this, it seems so intuitive. But explain it for us.
0: Yeah. So, the forget the funnel name really came from the this idea that recurring revenue businesses and many businesses, not just in like in SaaS. Really live or die based on customer relationships, and to think about your customers as, um, and your you know your marketing as something that ends at acquisition is basically a recipe for disaster. And most funnels end at purchase, um, right? The really rudimentary, basic, original version of a funnel. And I mean, I've seen the hourglass funnels and all of it, all of the sort of twists and turns that funnels have taken over the year. But at the end of the day, the biggest issue. Apply
2: at the end of the day, you have to
0: apply it. <laughs> well, you have to apply it, but also it can't be generic. So when right. we talk about like top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, that is very much like every company that that assumes that every company and product are the same, that every team is the same, and that every customer is the same. And that like, oh, if they're at top of funnel, they must need this. If they're in the middle of the funnel, they must need that. It's It basically lumps everybody's customers into these same buckets, but our products and our customers are completely unique. And in some scenarios, you know, um, a meaningful product usage or bottom of the funnel would be a certain um, usage of the, of your solution um, versus, you know, sign up. Um, right. right. And so to think about it through the lens of our customers, milestones, versus these like life cycle moments, like MQL, SQL, that, that means something to us half the time, most of the time, they don't even mean anything. Um, these it can crazy be nebulous,
2: things. right? Is it an MQL yeah. or is it an SQL? I don't know. This is a little different.
0: <laughs> right. Exactly. And the definitions change over time, right? but it's, it's sort of this shift from thinking about the customer through the lens of their experience and their and value moments in their relationship with us versus transactional moments, which we are often tasked with. A lot of our performance goals are around like number of signups or visitors or a, a revenue number to hit in a given month when that has absolutely nothing to do with customer value. Because again, those leading indicators of success help us get our customers to these moments of value. Those are our leading indicators that help. Um, sort of influence those lagging indicators. So we just think it's a a more, it's, it is inevitable that we should be thinking about customers in this way. We all know it in theory, but there was never a sort of framework or method for doing this. And so that's why we came up with this framework. It's like, identify what matters to our amazing customers and then operationalize it. So teams can actually run with it and make better decisions. That was the whole reason for coming up with this framework. There was, there was nothing Boom. to connect those two before.
2: Boom. I love that. Okay. So you're super passionate about forget the funnel. We can definitely see that. What are, what are your crazy passions outside of work? I know you have two girls.
0: I do. Okay. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, I,
0: I, work a lot. <laughs> so I do, I love, I love what I do obviously. And, um, being the the CEO of a small business is obviously pretty encompassing, but yes, like I said, uh, we have uh, two young kids. Um, the other thing that I'm actually working on is we bought a lakefront property two years ago with four like shacks, like hundred year old shacks. And so we are slowly making our way through basically completely gutting and, um, Renovating, so so on the weekends I'm in. I'm like breaking down walls. Oh, and I have like a hammer in my hand. <laughs> that's <laughs> how I get my release. Or I'm on a roof, you know, re re shingling a roof or something like that. Oh,
2: that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, tell people how to get a hold of you,
0: Gia. Um, I mean, Forget the Funnel is definitely, or do, I should say the website is definitely the best place to go, forgetthefunnel.com. Um, I'm trying my hardest to be more active on LinkedIn as well. So LinkedIn's also another great spot to do go. on LinkedIn.
2: I'm um, find her, Georgiana Lottie. Yes,
0: that's right. Uh, we also launched a podcast very, very, very recently, like new. I don't even think I told you that. Um, just this week, our first episode. Is it called Forget the Funnel?
2: It's called the Forget the Funnel podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Shocker. Yes. That's great. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Before we end off, this has really been enlightening and I'm really glad you drilled down on the pain points because that's what you drill down on in your, you know, job assessment type assessment. I, I I'm not even going to call it research. <laughs> right. <You're laughs> yeah. Please don't. Exactly. <laughs> insights. Insights is how. Yes. Know. Yes. And yes. It, Critical it, insights it is very methodical and it is very tactical at the end of how yep. you which i love um but what is food for thought that you want to leave our listeners with
0: yeah um i guess at, at the real essence of it it's identifying that you might have this problem um and really acknowledging that you don't actually need to be guessing. And if you have, what we hear a lot from founders when we talk to CEOs and founders and execs is that they don't have a level of confidence in what they've been doing so far. And they don't, they worry about the team not making, you know, the best decisions they could be making. And they worry, they say things like, we know that what got us here won't get us there. Um, And, you know, that's the, acknowledging that there is a better way you don't need to be guessing there you can give your team a like uh, a really you can give your team the confidence they need to make better decisions Um, there is a you can do this with rigor And if you can sort of slow down to learn these things, your team is going to be able to move so much more quickly, run so many, you know, better tests and and better experiments and better marketing um, and more effective marketing, a lot less guessing, a lot less um, spaghetti at the wall.
2: Good. (laughs) Thank you. That was a really good tidbit to take back. All right. Well, thank you very much for this. This has been super fun. Thank you and so much wrap, for wrap everyone. If you learned something today or you laughed with Gina and me, tell someone about this podcast, but tell people to go disrupt their markets with a tidbit from the show. Know your customer. Thanks for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, know our customers, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now.
1: Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This advice is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal healthcare or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal issue or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links. Do not create an agency client relationship between JotoPR PR and the user.